The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Hiya, any chance of a haircut? Oh, I think there's every chance, Kurt. I was thinking of something a bit edgy, a bit radical. A bit rock star. Good choice. Not too mad like, just a bit edgy. Well, you're in luck, Calicious, because Natalie here is Queen of Edge. Yeah. Uh, not much to work with, but we can make it rock. So, what do you think, Kurt? How's about letting our trainee start you off? Go for it. Welcome to episode 52 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that does a decent impression of a photocopier, can do a decent portrait of Brian, knows a song or two about knickers, just don't leave us alone in a room with Tim's dad and a bag of swords. I'm Gavin. And I'm still in pain. Yeah, and now I'm in pain. <laughs> Misery loves company. It still it does. <laughs> Mine is just my toe though. Yeah. I, I don't know what I did with it. I was cutting the grass last night and I was kind of sore after finishing the grass because grass was kind of thick. And the lawnmower's kind of heavy. But mm. I thought it was my back, my arms. And then I woke up this morning and it feels like I broke my toe. And I don't know how. Yeah, because at least this time a bed didn't fall on it. No. Which is what happened when you broke a toe the last time. Typically when I break my toe, well, I think it was just fractured the last time. But yeah, a bed collapsed on it as we were moving house. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you said that you broke your toe in this very room. It was this room, yeah. All the memories. Oh. Actually, it wasn't. It was in Benny's room in the other house. I thought it was when you were putting it together. No, 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 no. It's when I was taking it apart. Oh. All this time. How these sweet memories fade in time. <laughs> I miss our old house. No, do you? I don't. I miss that bathtub. Yeah, it was a good bathtub. I miss all the space. Yeah. I don't miss the drunks walking by at 6am or 2am. Oh, the 18-wheelers that batter up and down the street. Yeah, practicing again. their air brakes mm-hmm. on a residential street. Yeah, it's kind of quieter here. It is. Just it's falling to pieces. <laughs> Doors falling off hinges and, yeah, great fun. Yeah, and you're not really handy. I'm not handy at all. I told you this before <laughs> before you got involved in this, and sadly, neither are you. <laughs> so nothing gets done. Yeah, well, no, I'm just lazy. Which is the same as. <laughs> no, actually, to give you due, you did fix that garbage disposal that one time. Remember that? I fixed that a couple of times, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah you did a good job. I fixed some plumbing as well at some point. Yeah. Something was clogged. Yeah. I fixed a toilet at some point. Yeah, see? You know something about plumbing. I didn't enjoy any of it. <laughs> no, but you can do it, is the point. Well, I just don't like electricity, and I don't understand... Hinges. Hinges and <laughs> runners to confuse the hell out of me. So if anybody can lend us a hand. Yeah. Oh. We're not joking. <laughs> <laughs> we need some serious assistance. Aye. Okay. 
So we are in the midst of a beautiful Michigan evening. We have birds twittering in the trees and we have kids that are running around yards, so warning, there may be noises of that. Yeah. In fact, I think I can hear a little bird twittering just as we speak. Tweet, 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 tweet. They're telling other birds to fuck off, that's what's happening there. Not always. Sometimes yeah. they're sometimes they're telling them to fuck on. Oh. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> shall we preamble, my dear? Ah, uh, please. Our mailbag. John got in touch to say that he thought it wasn't too bad this week. At least we got to see a few of the underused characters like Ali, Alia, and Sexy Paula. Ooh. And Abby. Since Sophie is pregnant in real life, I expect her and Paula will be riding off into the sunset for a while. Tim's dad is so creepy, they should go the whole hog, give him a cigar and gold chain and give him a new catchphrase of now then, now then. <laughs> oh, which is very dark. That's a Jimmy Savile reference. Sad, sadly though, John, I don't think you're Paula's type. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, the image of Gavin Drag is now stuck in my mind. I may need therapy. You're welcome, John. Then Scott got in touch to say, another great episode, a bit more info on where Mary lives. Number 7 is the only house with a roof conversion because Curly turned it into an observatory in the 1990s. It means it's got one more bedroom than the other houses, so there was room for her to live there as well. Although technically, now Asha and Addy are teenagers, they'll no longer be sharing a room, so they shouldn't have a spare room. But it's another Corey Tardis situation. Oh. Thank you for the insight, Scott. Hmm. I don't think I knew that. I remember Curly, but I don't remember Curly doing any observing. Chris. Yes, that one, because we don't hear from Chris. No, not that one, because <laughs> I've kicked her off the Facebook page. I just started watching Monday's episodes, and within two minutes I was screaming, well, you just fucking fuck off, you fucking selfish prick, at Tim's dad, so loud that my neighbours called round just to see if everything was okay. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Hindsight Corner. Nothing in hindsight corner. <laughs> what are you drinking? Well, it's ironic that you just mentioned a Cory Tardis because I am drinking the sweat of Peter Capaldi. <laughs> Ugh, that can't be nice. Too much salt in that. Yes, in my experience, Scotsmen are very salty. <laughs> anyway. I'm drinking some lovely filtered water with a splash of lemon juice from my Tardis water cup that my dear friend Nadine sent me. It's a shame it's not for Christmas. shaped like a Tardis, though. It's, it's got the doors on the front, and it's Tardis blue. It's Tardis blue, but it's just, Doctor Who, just like that. a regular cup. It's one of the many Tardises in this house. It's hilarious. We went to a local pub quiz the other night. You came in and said... Do you have a TARDIS? Yeah, I, I need a TARDIS quite urgently. And I'm like, well, which one do you want? I've got my water cup. I've got my coffee mug. I've got two TARDIS necklaces. I've got a TARDIS cookie cutter. I've got a TARDIS t-shirt. Yeah. I've got a TARDIS, uh, like, fingerless gloves. I've got a TARDIS costume. You're so cool. I am. Yeah, this was for a, a bonus. If you <laughs> brought something that was TARDIS-shaped, then you got some extra points. And so I wore the TARDIS necklace 
The end. Which was the simplest way to do it. Yeah. That like, my lovely friend Tommy gave me when uh, she and her husband moved back to Canada. I wonder how they're doing. And no, you don't. <laughs> I also have a lovely Tivana that you got me from the shop. Peach green tea, which smells nice. Good. Yeah. And laying off the carbonated drinks for the moment. So sadly, no LaCroix for the foreseeable future. No, we're stockpiling it because I still buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you were off to carbonated drinks. This I thought it was just dark carbonated drinks that aggravated kidney stones. I think it's all carbonated drinks. It? I think it's the carbon in the carbonated drinks. No, oh, really? That's the issue. But I thought it was the minerals and things like coke that caused the problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, you never know. Because for a while, people were saying you shouldn't drink milk and eat dairy products if you have kidney stones. But now they say that you should because the calcium in the dairy bonds with the calcium that gets left in your kidney and takes it takes it away before it can form stones and i know all of this is very yeah. interesting but Alan, what are you drinking i'm drinking a water and something that's pretty close to water a heineken 0.0 so it's it was a week of or it will be a week of uh finales big bang theory finished let's see veep finished last Sunday. I've not been keeping up with that. No. Um, it's um, Game of Thrones ends this Sunday. Yep. Which. <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to because that means I can stop worrying about how they're going to fuck up the ending to Game of Thrones once it's yeah, done. Yeah, but you know what? You know what the problem is now? Is that those two idiots are now going to be writing three Star Wars movies for Disney because. Disney, for some reason, seemed to think that they can write because they were so good at taking George R. R. Martin stuff. And mm-hmm. so they're going to be messing up something else that I love. I'm sure there'll be a get out clause somewhere in that. Oh, God. What else are they going to ruin for me? It's like I, it feels personal now. <laughs> <laughs> and we just watched The Big Bang Theory. Uh, no spoilers because that hasn't been shown in the UK yet. Oh, it hasn't. No. All right. Because I was going to say something. Because there's been some interesting articles today about one of the one of the twists and how similarly to um, some of the complaints about the dudes who write Game of Thrones that the dudes who write Big Bang Theory don't seem to understand how women act. Yeah, the, the, there were problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been dying on its for years i'm glad that's finished as well yeah it should have ended like four seasons seasons ago but that's all right um this season of barry it finishes up this weekend and i'm quite looking forward to that because this season has been just as good as last season was you should really watch it i really enjoyed the first season of barry i haven't i haven't seen any of the second season yeah like i think it was like the fourth episode is just really bonkers and very tarantino-esque oh I think you'd really like it. Oh, there's a bit of Tarantino and Coronation Street this week, which is a lovely segue back into what we're here to talk about. Shall we dive in with you? Don't make me laugh. <laughs> Our first story tonight, assuming that your reaction to that was, yes, please, is about Carla. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I have problems with some of this, as oh. you know. I thought it was largely entertaining and 
quite well done, I thought, largely. Mm. Let's see where your problems lie. On Monday, the police are at the rover. Seemingly no one looked round the corner for Carla yesterday. The youngest PC in the world says that they're doing everything that they can to find her. And Johnny is worried that she may disappear for good. And Robert has an odd expression to this. This this PC is even younger than the last youngest PC in the world. Remember the last one? I this think one looked 12. This is PC Benjamin Button, I think. <laughs> Roy's back from his trip and quickly discovers that Carla's gone missing thanks to uh, people in the street and a poster on his shop. And he says that the trip was satisfactory for the whole RP mystery, mm-hmm. but then he doesn't tell us. Can you imagine if we'd still been doing Oh, God, celebrity? that would be so frustrating. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm so glad we We'd be doing, doing rice paper by now. <laughs> Robert has beaten himself up about letting Carla get away. Michelle tells him she thought that she was dead. Uh, at least we know that that's not the case anymore. She asks why he was at the hotel anyway, and he claims to have been lost and asking for directions. Which we know is a lie. Yes. Roy- I still want to know who he was meeting up with. I think you might be onto something with the old Irish Tina. You think so? Yeah. Mm. More likely than that young thing, because we've never seen her again. Roy is at the rover speaking with Jenny. What a mess. Roy is off to the hotel that Carla was found in so they can have a shift around the room. Which one would think that the police would have already done. And the hotel might have some processes against this happening. Yeah. But Johnny gets ready and goes with. And the hotel room... Once they get there, is a mess. It looks like Carla's been making a nest. Yes. The phone was unplugged, and she'd been stealing newspapers from other <laughs> from other hotel guests. I, how on earth does she go from squatting in in a falling down house mm-hmm. to being able to afford a really nice hotel? She's upwardly mobile by the looks of things, and wearing two hoodies. Yeah, she's she's the Leonard Hofstetter of this show. <laughs> Johnny says that he will cover the damages and the hotel owner surprisingly lets Johnny and Roy have a nose around. Roy finds Carla's kidney medication and it looks like she's not been taking them. Then we see Carla in town hiding round the corner again from the police. So Johnny and Roy are walking around through, I think it's a graveyard, and they're worried and blaming themselves. Johnny was so occupied with Kate and Roy threw her out. They're both responsible for this. They are not. No. Inside, Carla has always been more delicate than she appears, says Roy. And Johnny says nice things to Roy, says that he's always been her friend and he never lied to her, which is something that he can't say about himself, and he wanted to keep her safe. And as they walk away, we see that Carla has been lingering behind them and, and is listening. watching them and listening, yes. Hmm. That was fortunate, wasn't it, Helen? Just a wee bit. Especially since... She'd already, like, run away, and Robert had to drive her from the hotel back to Coronation Street, yet somehow she's been able to walk all that way back in less than a day to nearby the hotel. That's probably not that far. It's probably in town somewhere. Sure. Roy's back at Roy's Rolls and explains to Sean about Carla being off her meds and being essentially feral. The situation is worse than they first thought. Shona sends him upstairs for a rest and he goes up and finds a very distressed Carla somehow is already there waiting for him. It sounds like Carla has a TARDIS of her own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or is employing the Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> fast walking or speed walking or whatever <laughs> to get from... Maybe she warded into a crow. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> She's the three-eyed raven. 
Roy. <laughs> oh, he's a creepy bastard, isn't he? <laughs> he just needs his glasses, damn it. <laughs> Roy goes to tell Johnny, but she doesn't want anyone knowing that she's there. She knows that he's helping Kate and not on her side. She can't trust him. She wants Kate to stop and asks Roy to tell Kate to stop hiding Rana. Kate's telling everyone Carla killed Rana, but she's still alive, says Carla. And Roy's like, what? Roy explains very gently that Kate doesn't hate her and she's not thinking straight. Roy wants to take her to a hospital, but she doesn't think she'll be safe there. Then the phone rings and Carla begs him not to answer. So he doesn't and Carla pulls the phone out of the wall. Carla thinks Aidan is the person to speak to Kate. She needs to see him and get him to talk to her. Roy ushers Carla to her room to get some sleep. She asks if she can trust him and he promises to take care of her. Very markedly not saying, yes, you can trust me. Right. So, in addition to Rana still being alive in Carla's head, Aiden is now alive in Carla's head. Yes, as is Ina Sharples. Not just his kidney. She lives inside him. He lives lives inside inside her. her. Roy has found Carla's phone. Michelle's number goes to voicemail because... Of course it does. Because Coronation Street. He calls Johnny, but Carla has got up and has caught him. Oopsie. So Roy just wants people to know that she's safe. He's trying to help her and Carla thinks Roy's in on it. He tells her Kate isn't hiding Rana. He tells her she's not well, she needs help, and she looks like she's about to pass out. Roy keeps Carla from she's leaving. She's quite sweaty as well. Oh, she didn't really notice. Yeah, the whole, the whole, she was quite sweaty the oh, whole way through. That's what happens when you wear two hoodies. And your and your Multiple layers, yeah. starting to go on you. And then, just to make matters better, Johnny starts battering on the door of Roy's rolls while an ambulance pulls up with his blues and twos on. When did Roy have time to call both Johnny and an ambulance? I assume that Johnny was the one that called the ambulance. Okay, well, all right, that makes sense. But he, I don't remember... When Roy called Johnny, was he able to get very much out? I can't remember. Probably enough. I guess. The paramedics come in and attempt to calm down Carla, who screams that she doesn't want anyone near her and she'll never forgive Roy for this. Never. I'll never forgive you. And he seems distraught at this, which is so stupid. It's so freaking ridiculous. This is not Roy. How do you mean? Because no matter what Carla says, Roy must know that he did the right thing and that eventually, once she is well again and in her right mind again she will appreciate this and it will be okay that he absolutely did the right thing because if he didn't do anything she would have died yeah so to show roy seemingly distraught over her saying this as if as if it's actually true and not the rantings of a mad woman who desperately needs help it's just against character well maybe it was uh, partly that and partly seeing his friend in such a distressed state Nah. <laughs> Sorry, the voice of reason's just getting shot down. <laughs> Fuck you, voice of reason. On Wednesday, Carla's in the hospital with Roy by her bed. He hasn't had any sleep. The nurse says that the kidney function is improving, but the confusion is something else, says the nurse who isn't a doctor or a psychiatrist. Then in the rovers, Johnny is dreading how Carla will react when she sees them and thinks that he should have stayed at the hospital. Yeah, you should have, Johnny, you shit. Michelle <laughs> Michelle confirms that the paranoia was a separate issue because Ali said so. Who is a doctor? 
And also, we all know that the paranoia is a separate issue from the kidney because she was taking her medication when the roof came tumbling down and she started ranting and raving. Yes. Kate hopes that Carla will get better and says it won't bring back Rana. <sighs> Shut up! <laughs> Ken comes in to ask after Carla. He saw some signs but had no idea it was this bad. He gives Michelle a hard time for texting Peter. Peter should be receiving no outside contact and he calls Michelle stupid. Peter hasn't been able to focus since the contact and off he goes in a huff. And he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. And it was, you know, the rehab place called Ken and said and told him about this and reinforced that nobody should be trying to have any contact with Peter. Yeah, he's in a very fragile part of his recovery. Right. Let's all remember this. For leaders, shall we? <laughs> Johnny arrives at... Yeah, we'll put a little thumbtack in that. Yeah. And we'll come back to this later. Johnny arrives at the hospital with Roy just as Carla wakes up. She's immediately frantic, gets out of bed, and rips out her drips and begs the nurse to get them out. <laughs> but not like that. Oh, I'm so childish. I'm so childish. You really, you're more childish than the children in this house. There's something wrong with Roy's voice. What was wrong with Roy's voice on Wednesday? There's something wrong with you. <laughs> we find from a doctor that a psychiatrist will be along to assess Carol later. Despite this, they keep asking her questions about how it happened and possible recovery. The doctor says that she keeps asking for Peter. The doctor thinks his presence could speed up her recovery. Uh, not well, knowing, <laughs> not knowing that Peter is in rehab. No, well, we, and we presume that she doesn't know that. Unavailable. Yeah, he's he's kind of busy and, right now. And none of them say to her, "Oh, well, he'd be here, but he's in rehab because he's an alcoholic, and if he drinks again, he will die." Yep. And uh, Roy will speak with Ken, rather you than me, says Johnny. And again. This is not Roy. He knows that Peter's in rehab. He knows mm-hmm. that desperate situation. Yep. You know, he should... He, sensible Roy would understand that it's just the way it is. And as long as she stays in the hospital, it'll be all right. And I mean, the hospital has ways of making her stay. You know, they could tranquilize her. They could... Bind her to the bed. This happens. They don't do those things, though. They discharge her. Well, n- no. But they can. Especially since she's a flight risk. She desperately needs the medication for her kidneys. And because she's probably suicidal. And yet, they discharge her. Right. But we haven't gotten to that yet. We don't know that they're going to discharge no, we don't. her at this point. Which is why it's such a shock when... They decide to do just that. Remember when when Amy was in the hospital for three months with a broken arm? Yes. Remember that? Yes. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. What the hell? If Roy is one thing, it's he's pragmatic. And this was not pragmatic at all. None of this is pragmatic. He's not idealistic. He's pragmatic. Right. His actions here are... Idealistic. Very idealistic. Yes. So, obviously, they have somebody writing this character who's never watched a second of this show in the Oh, past. no, 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 no. They absolutely have. They're just choosing to ignore this. It's like Daenerys all over again. Roy is the Daenerys Targaryen of this show. 
There's Roy on his dragon. With his blood hair flowing in the wind. <laughs> Flying over Victoria Street. Having six, <laughs> sex with Kit Harrington. Oh, that's very specific fan fiction, isn't it? <laughs> the Cory Game of Thrones crossover. The homoerotic. <laughs> I say erotic. <laughs> Skating on. Roy is at Ken's hearing how Carla is. Can I do anything to help? Ken asks. And Roy asks about Peter. Peter is the only one that she trusts. Ken would like to help, but they'll have to do this without Peter. His recovery has already been compromised, and Peter is his priority. He'll be home in a fortnight, and but Roy worries that this is too late. Tough shit, says Ken. Yeah, Ken would say, I would do anything for Carla, but I won't do that. Oh, we're hitting all the cultural touchstones tonight, aren't we? <laughs> like 15-year-old meatloaf. Is meatloaf a cultural touchstone? To somebody. <laughs> Remember when they went through a phase of releasing songs that had exceptionally long titles? Oh, yeah. Objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are was my favourite. Yes. <clears throat> Paradise John- by the dashboard light. That's, that's not that that's long. fairly short. Yeah. Johnny goes back to seeing Carla and she wants Peter. She's only speaking to him. She's not going to speak to anybody else. And Johnny lies and says... Oh. Johnny lies and says that he's on his way and he's spoken with them. He insists that they love her and care for her. He's on her side. She says that she needs cash to get a bus to see Aidan. If Peter's not here today, she's out of here. And she tells Johnny to leave. Well, that went well. <sighs> it's like, you saw how she freaked out before. Why are you trying to go in there? Why do people on the show lie to one another as if it were breathing air? Yep. Why? And when she says that stuff about Aidan... First of all, I mean, kind of well done because Johnny does, you see the look in his face and it just, you can see that that affects him. Yeah. But you would think that he would also say, I'm just going to step out now, (laughs) find the doctor, find the nurse, find the psychiatrist and say, she now wants to go find her dead brother who's been dead for a year. Yep. Who killed himself. Yep. So there's a family history of suicide and she wants to go find her brother who committed suicide. We need to medicate her now, strap her to that bed because she's a suicide risk now. None of this happens. Oh, you sweet, innocent child. NHS. (laughs) Nobody talks to doctors like that in the UK. Well, not in my experience. You do. (laughs) That's why. Actually. That's why we were asked not to go back. (laughs) Actually, everybody that I spoke to, all the doctors that, and nurses that I spoke to when we were over, were very lovely and answered my questions very nicely. They did. And, and were... You were on your best behavior, though. And were very awesome. You know, unlike, oh, I don't know, an ER doctor that when you say that you're, you've got severe pain in your pelvis says, well, I don't think you need a pelvis exam. Yeah, as an example. As an example. Just... Just an example. Just putting it out it's there. Not specific. Roy sees Johnny in the hallway. He was unsuccessful with Ken, but not like that. <laughs> Ken is now at the hospital looking for Carla when Peter shows up. Roy has gone behind Ken's back, and Peter is furious at Ken. Once again, he does the wrong thing. Fuck rehab, he says. Ken says he was protecting them. Ken is furious with Roy, and he'll never forgive him if anything happens to Peter. I'm just wondering how Roy found Peter. 
I yeah, I'm going to say something about that in a second. Are are you done? Yes. All right. For now. Okay. I've lots of other notes. All right. First of all, this is a rehabilitation center that we already know was called Ken and was pissed off and forbade any contact with Peter because he's in a fragile state of his recovery. He cannot leave. He cannot have any contacts with anybody at home. Yeah, we put a pen in that. Yeah. Roy somehow, first of all, finds out what rehabilitation center Peter's in. Drives there. Drives there. <laughs> is not a relative. Is able to sign Peter out of this facility that forbade any contact with the outside world. Could Peter sign himself out? I don't know. Because I don't know how... I Over here, if you if you put yourself in rehab... You can sign yourself out. If right. It's not, you know, court ordered or medically ordered. However, there is a medical concern with Peter's liver. And this is a private facility yep. that has already been paid for. Yep. So they want their they want their money's worth out of them. <laughs> yes. I don't I don't know about in this specific situation, but it does not seem likely that they would say yeah sure here he is there would be some pushback and this is not a good idea also this is not something roy would do the roy that we know and love our dear beloved roy who's like an older slightly more human sheldon cooper (laughs) would not do this I mean, I get that Carla is more of his priority than Peter is, but what he's doing here is dragging Peter away from some place where he's safe and somewhere where he's being looked after and, and treated re- and treated and rehabilitated and putting him into a pressure cooker of an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, putting him in a situation that is why he started drinking again in the first place. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem all that. That's prag- not something that Roy would do. Not all that pragmatic. No, mm. it's not even really idealistic, is it? It's just, well, it's his ideal solution for Carla. Right. It's just really, really emotional, um, and Roy's not emotional. No. So Johnny fills in Peter on the situation, and Peter goes in to see Carla, but Carla's asleep, so he takes a wee seat, and then she wakes up and sees him, and they share a kiss. She's missed Peter so much. Well, I'm here now. And then the shrink comes in with a social worker. They want a wee chat. And later, Peter's in the hall filling in Johnny. The shrink says Carla has had a psychotic episode, but they don't think that she's a danger to herself anymore and they're going to send her home tomorrow. But she'll get home visits every day and some medication. They don't think she's a danger to herself anymore. She wants to go see her dead brother who committed suicide. Yeah. That's fine. What is wrong with these people? People improve quicker in a familiar environment, says one of them conveniently. And Peter wants her home and better. <gasps> so Peter's back home at number one. He's still angry with Ken, but wants to put it behind him and tells him that Carla's going to move in. Ken thinks this is a terrible idea. He's as sick as Carla. And Ken does a power of shouting at Peter at this. This is such a mistake. Peter is uncharitable in his response and basically says he's moving out to get away from his fucking dad. Good luck moving up. Because I'm... Moving out. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what I hate. You know what I hate about this week. 
This week, this stupid freaking show has not only made me mad at a character that I love, it's also got me agreeing with a character I loathe. Yes, that's a twofer. I hate that. I don't want to be in agreement with Ken. Stop it. Yeah, when I your Stop t- it now. When I sent your text saying, oh, Ken's in a power of shouting this week, and you said, yes, but you're right. And I was like, holy shit. The tide has turned. Peter is at Roy's roles while Roy is tidying up. He explains about Carla's discharge, which surprises Roy. Where will she stay? Roy off- offers up his place, thinking if Peter stays there too, maybe she'll realise that Roy has been her side. Now Ken shows up at Roy's roles looking for Peter. He wants Peter to come home and talk. Peter doesn't see the point. Then Roy announces that Carla and Peter will be staying with him, which means that he can help looking after them. Ken isn't impressed and does some more top-quality shouting at the pair of them. Ken can't stand by and watch Peter kill himself. And then he immediately leaves. And again, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. This is not a safe thing for an addict to be doing to themselves. No. At all. This has got codependent stamped right across it, hasn't it? Oh, God. Of all of the codependent relationships on this show, and there are many... (laughs) There are many. This is absolutely the worst. Yeah, it's not going in a very healthy direction. At the hospital it on Friday... It healthy to begin with. They're ready to check out Carla. The doctor insists that she needs support, which Peter says that he can provide. He insists he'll be fine. Yeah. Carla wants to know where they're moving to, and Peter tells her that they're going in with Roy. And Carla doesn't look happy about this. So Roy's rolls. Johnny isn't happy with the situation either. How can he look after a cafe and Carla? He hopes Roy has the hospital... On speed dial. Or speed dial. <laughs> then Carla's home and Peter puts the kettle on. and comes Roy. You, says Carla, you betrayed me. Who let you in? And Roy explains that it's his house and it's <laughs> her house too. Well, either you go or I go, she says. And she yells at him to get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Carla thinks Roy is out to get her. Roy insists it's not true and then offers to move out until things calm down. Well, where would you go, says Peter. That's not important, says Roy. Carla needs to feel safe, which can't happen with him there. <sighs> then Ken is at Roy's rolls looking for Peter. Sean explains that Carla is in a right state and offers him to go upstairs to see. Then they both see Roy leave with a suitcase, and Ken is confused. Roy explains that he's making things worse, and she thinks that he's out to do her harm, so he's leaving for the time being. But Michelle is there, and things seem to have calmed. Roy offers him a room at Ken's house. In fact, he insists, and Roy accepts. And this is pretty fucked up right here. How did Michelle sneak by Shona? Yeah, Shona doesn't tell Ken that Michelle's up there. No. I think this is the least of the problems with that story, don't you think? Yeah, I'm just pointing out another one. Carla is asleep on the couch. Peter thinks that she's tired herself out by being angry with Roy. Michelle's impressed at the care Peter is providing. Mm, he says that it's the least he can do and he tells Michelle to go and get some rest. He's planning on getting some shut eye too, so Michelle agrees and leaves. Then on his own, then on his own, Peter gets on the phone to Howard, which rehab Howard. No, yeah, that's a sponsor. Sponsor Howard. Yeah. Howard sponsor. Yeah. yeah. He says things are complicated, and he's out of rehab now, and he needs to chat because Howard's yet another one who doesn't seem to answer his phone. And that's as far as we get this week. I actually thought this was a better storyline. Until we started talking about it. <laughs> no, I don't think I enjoyed it at all. 
I thought well, you enjoyed it, and I ruined it for you. I thought Ali King's acting was pretty good. I don't know. After after so many weeks of of watching her sc- scuttle about like a little cockroach, yeah, <laughs> with this wide eye, this wide eyed look on her face, looking frantic and shouting at people that they're all out to get her. It's wearing a little thin. Yeah. It's kind of samey. It's a little dragged out, I guess. And it's it's a little shouty. And there's a part of me that's just not buying it anymore, you know? I mean, I think it's interesting that they, they choose... I think she's a better actress than what they're giving her to work with. It's kind of interesting that for the second year in the trot on Mental Health Awareness Week that they choose to have Somebody a storyline like family? this. Yeah. Kind of faulty pieces a bit, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe it deserved a little bit more. And the Peter aspect of it is just—it's very ridiculous. Yeah, kind of unbelievable. That's, that's a mental health issue as well. All on its own, yeah. That you nobody know. seems to be addressing. No, exactly. And everybody's being really irresponsible about, and that just makes me mad. And what will cheer you up? Our next storyline. No, it won't. Do you know what it is? It's the talent show, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. <laughs> the Rovers Got Talent. Grammatically incorrect. On Monday, Tim's dad, Yasmin, Beth and Kirk are talking about the upcoming talent show. Tim's dad is doing his lady in a box routine and expects Yasmin to be his assistant. But she's working. Well, what am I going to do at such short notice, says Tim's dad. But Yasmin digs her heels in and says that she didn't even know that Tim's dad was expecting her to be in the act. Kirk, meanwhile, says he's written a song especially for the evening, and it's a belter. Beth just looks at her feet. Then Tim's dad is at the cab office asking Tim to be his lady in the box. (laughs) Apparently Tim used to be his assistant back in the day. Then in comes Emma looking for a cab into town. Steve quotes her a tenner, and Go Lucky usually takes seven, but since she's here... uh, That's fine. Whatevs. Yeah. And she asks if they have an app. Yeah, and she's disappointed to find that she can't track it on her phone. Because that's her favourite bit. Yeah, this is actually probably belongs in the, the cab office storyline. But that's fine. But she tells Tim's dad that she's looking forward to seeing his act, and he tells her that he's probably going to have to cancel, and then she offers to be his lady in a box. Because she's always wanted to. It's like on her bucket list. Ever since she's seen Paul Daniels and Debbie McGee. Ooh, I have no idea who those people are. Do you like, do you like magic? I like some magic. You won't like this magic. Did I, you like Tim's dad's magic? No. No, then you won't like Paul Daniels. Okay. So, uh, he's unsure that she can learn this complicated trick in so little time, but she says that she's seen it on YouTube or whatever, and they go off to practice immediately, Emma cancelling her, her cab as she does so. Then Beth is in the bistro and she's avoiding the pub and Kirk. She's worried about the lyrics in his new songs, My Knickerpacker Glory. And your puppies make my bloodhound. She doesn't want people laughing at him. He thinks he's no Gallagher, she says. Then Beth decides to go and see him and support him after all. Because Robert starts laughing at him. Yeah. And about your souls. Our, your, my souls, your souls, our souls. Yasmin finds Tim's dad and Emma in Roy's roles and he's telling her about his ferret and his trousers. And Emma finds this hilarious. He thinks Emma's going to be a fantastic assistant and off she goes to help Sean set up. 
Yasmin wishes he'd answered his phone. Yeah, well, you know what I'm like when I'm in the zone, says Tim's dad. Yeah, you're annoying fuck, says Yasmin. No. Then Yasmin apologises again for the earlier confusion and ends up agreeing to watch a three-hour David Copperfield documentary with him tomorrow. Yeah. No. And she seems a bit concerned about Emma. And I'm like, oh, honey. <laughs> Seriously. And then I was in correspondence with Chris, yeah, that one, uh, over the email about this as the episode was showing, and he sparked a little thread in my mind about Tim's dad's... Uh, isn't just the the character that deserves to be mocked for uh, for being selfish and and maybe there's something a little bit more dark going on it's here. It's already dark. Gaslighting your partner is always dark. This isn't funny. Yeah. It's, it was never funny. It seems to be getting worse though. Yeah. And I wrote a blog post about it so if you're interested in seeing that, the talk of the street com. The talent show is approaching kickoff, but Brenda and her balloon animals has pulled out. Johnny was going to be Elvis, but, but not he- that way. <laughs> Johnny was Johnny was going to be Elvis, but he's left the building. They're down to appliance boy Kirk and Tim's dad. They're about to postpone when Evelyn says that she'll do a turn that'll blow their leggings off. So, <laughs> so Rover's got talent gets underway, and first up is Tim's dad, who's introduced as the Great Magnifico. He gives it the old music hall introduction, and Emma gets in the box. Tim's dad chops up a melon with a sword and then sticks a sword in the box. He strains to push in another one. Then Emma pretends to be in pain and Sean thinks that he can see some blood. Kirk shouts at Emma to stay away from the light. Oh, Kirk. Tim's dad says that he can heal her, removes the swords, and Emma jumps out unscathed and everyone cheers because no one apparently hates amateur magicians in Weatherfield. Then later, appliance boy is imitating a photocopier suffering a paper jam. He gets a smattering of applause, but Tim's dad is very impressed. And next up is Evelyn with an easel dressed as an artist. She's going to paint Brian in a Roman toga, while Omio Babino Caro plays in the background. And at this point, I'm quite relieved because the way she was talking about it being very artful and tasteful and it's going to knock your socks off earlier, I thought she was going to do a little striptease. Oh dear God. <laughs> so I'm happy that... It was Brian in a toga. Yeah, and the toga remained on at all times. Yes. He actually suited it. He suited that and the little laurel. He did look quite Roman. It was quite a big laurel. He looked quite Roman and statuesque. Well done, Brian. Jenny's confused. Is Evelyn just doing painting? Tim's dad thinks it's remarkable. The finished work of art is a rather Picasso-esque interpretation of Brian as Julius Caesar. And it's very nice. Even calls them Philistines and that's the end of the act. Next up, it's El Kirko. He tunes up while Beth sneaks out. And Kirk sees this and is confused. So Kirk seems to be singing the Knickerpacker Glory song and he's singing okay but the lyrics are dreadful. He rhymes vickers with knickers. Now it's time to vote. It's better than my souls, your souls, our souls. Yes. Beth comes back and declares Kirk brilliant but he worries where she got to. The votes have been counted. It took like 30 seconds. And the winner is Tim's dad. Evelyn calls it a fix. Kirk's gutted. Beth thinks that's the end of the road and gets Kirk to confirm that he's definitely giving it up now. But then some mystery woman comes over and she's a talent scout and she liked the act. She wants to chat with Kirk tomorrow about his future and the show is going to go on, says Kirk. Beth and Sinead say, what the actual? And Beth thinks that this woman who's like 10 years younger than her is a groupie for Kirk. Yeah. And is a threat. 
What's up with that? What is up with that? And what happened to Mary's One Woman Show? Surely she would have been doing something for the talent. She's apparently off this week. Yeah. We don't see her at all. And Wednesday. Sadly. Kirk is in Roy's roles contemplating getting himself a tattoo. He's meeting the agent woman who confusingly seems to be named Jasmine. So a Jasmine and a Yasmin. Let's just call her agent woman. Beth worries that she's not legit. She didn't even have a business card. He needs to go, but not like that. Or maybe like that. And then he goes. And Kirk is back from his lunch with that agent woman. She wants to sign him up for a six-week tour of Pontins. Beth is still worried that she's not on the level, but Kirk insists and shows her a business card. She works for something called Mirthmaker, and Beth is now even more worried once someone has explained to her what mirth means. I didn't like that. I didn't like that Beth doesn't know what mirth means. That's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, mm. and that she asks Jenny what mirth means. Beth would rather die than admit that she doesn't know what something means. <laughs> That's true. So Kirk has made up about this tour. Beth is still unsure. Oh, oh. that was a nice little unfortunate rhyme, wasn't it? Yeah. Kirk assures her that she doesn't have to worry about groupies wanting his body. It's not that sort of tour. And Beth already knows this and tells him it's a comedy tour. He got the tour because people are laughing at him and his songs. And Kirk is hurt and asks to be left alone. Then Kirk and Abby later in the Rovers are comparing notes about how they're uh, both a pair of losers. So what if people laugh, says Abby, at least he's doing that, at least he's getting a reaction, and Kirk reckons that Abby is right. So Kirk then tells Beth that he doesn't care if people are laughing, at least they're enjoying themselves. He's doing the tour, so get it right up yet. So this, uh, Kirk just going to bugger off for six weeks then? I guess so. Looks like it. That's fine. Our next story tonight is about Seb and Alina. On Monday, Seb is in Roy's roles moaning to Shona about how he hasn't heard from Alina. She talks him, Shona talks him round to visiting her at the nail salon. Maybe she's lost his number or maybe she's waiting for him to make a move. So Seb takes her up on this and goes to see Alina at the nail salon and she's pleasant but distant and he worries that it's because of his HIV. She insists not, but she's at work. She offers to put... Yeah, Seb. People at work... Don't, don't like to be interrupted while they're at work. Why? <laughs> Seb has a serious problem coming to terms with this. Space, Seb, space. <laughs> he offers to put up a shelf despite no one asking him to do that and then asks Alina to make him a cuppa. Mm-hmm. Seb puts up that shelf that no one asked him to do. Apparently it took him two hours. Rachel comes back and interrupts the flirting between the two of them and sends Alina back to tidy her midden of a station. It's awkward, and Seb goes to leave as Rachel starts barking at the other nail technician. Rachel, it seems, is quite the hard taskmaster. Seb is back at the nail salon. He waited for Rachel to leave, and he gives uh, Alina a gift. It's a friendship bracelet. Aww. And then asks to see her when her shift is over. Because they're seventh graders at Girl Scout camp. <laughs> yes. But she doesn't think it's a good idea. So he asks to meet at her place, but she says that she'll call in on him later. So later then, Alina and Seb have had a nice time eating chips and having a good old stare at the street. Seb asks if she wants to go for a drink, but Alina has to work tomorrow. He offers to walk her home, but she's happy to get the bus. They hope to see each other again, and Seb walks off, and Alina pretends to go in the, he- in the direction of the bus stop, but then doubles back and goes the other way. On Wednesday then, Alina turns up at Seb's. The electricity is out at the salon, so she's at a loose end and wants to spend some time with him. So they go to speed dial. 
and Abby comes in looking for Brian and sees the two of them. Seb sees her and is reasonably polite. Abby wants an introduction to this girlfriend of his, but Seb says, yeah, maybe another time. And Abby goes off with her tail between her legs a little bit. Seb suggests to Lena that they go and do <clears throat> Netflix and chill back at his place. He's got an empty again. Alina is dead up for it and she goes off to get her coat. Convenient. Yes. Abby gets short shrift from Seb when Abby asks what the matter is. Abby confides in Brian later that Seb is ashamed of her and she can't blame him. And, I mean, Seb doesn't know where this relationship is going. This is kind of early days. Yep. Did you want to introduce all of your girlfriends to your mum? Did I want to introduce any of my girlfriends to my mum, did you say? No. Okay, then. So, I think Abby's being just a little too fragile here. It was the last thing you kind of want to do, isn't it? Right, yeah, so... The, the, the secrecy of it is part of the 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 charm of it, isn't it? Or the, the newness of it. You right, know? yeah. At the house, Seb explains to Alina how horrible mum Abby was and how the twins got put into care. Turns out Alina has a brother back home that she hasn't seen in a year. So they have something kind of in common then. Hmm. Later, Alina needs to go. Uh, there's something that she has to do. Seb is disappointed. They have a quick smooch. Alina says that she can come back at 11.30. Sound, says Seb. <laughs> and she must do that because on Friday she's rushing out of the house. They've slept in and she's late. This has been a big mistake, says Alina. Seb's hair is down. He needs a fucking haircut. <laughs> His hair is down. His shirt is off. His chest is surprisingly hairy for a young man of his age. Oh, was it? I didn't notice. You didn't? Really? I was too busy looking at the hair in his head. <laughs> it's hard to tell where one thing started and another thing stopped. <laughs> he looked uh, He looked like a, a young Fabio. <laughs> well, <laughs> so Lena rushes out. Seb once again turns up at the nail salon. This time he's got flowers for Lena. Alina is very nervous. Let her do her job. <laughs> Alina is very nervous, which Seb doesn't notice. Alina explains that Rachel doesn't like her staff having boyfriends. So I'm your boyfriend, says Seb, focusing on the entirely <laughs> wrong part of that sentence. <laughs> she asks him to go, and eventually he does, and Alina is quick to hide the flowers. She stuffs them under a chest of drawers. Now, she turns up later at Seb's... With the same flowers or With different flowers? With the same flowers that don't look like they've been shoved under a <laughs> She apologises for taking Rachel's moods out on Seb. Seb says she should get a job somewhere else then. And Lena says it's a, bit more it's a bit more complicated than that. She says that Rachel can make her life very uncomfortable and then refuses to give any more details. Seb begs her to stay and says she'll hurt his feelings if she goes. Which, gross. Yep. Just a wee bit. So she stays in the smooch, and Seb says if Rachel gives Alina aggro, she should come to him. Which, ah, gross. Just a little pimpy, isn't it? A little pimpy. It's... He'll help her out. Alina says that she doesn't deserve him. <laughs> no kidding. Then they smooch some more. And that's as far as we get with that story this week. Do you, Do you think they're going to muck up this whole... Um, modern day white slavery story. I don't know if we should be talking about it in terms of that until we know. I think after this tonight's... Well, you certainly know that Rachel has some kind of hold over Alina. And I think 
was it EastEnders that just did a similar storyline with modern slavery? I don't really keep up with the EastEnders storylines. No, but still, it seems like it's a fashionable thing to do these days. I don't know. I kind of so like Middle Eastern, so Eastern European women into slavery doing people's nails. Could be worse. Could be a whole lot worse. Maybe it is a whole lot worse, and we just don't know it. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's. I guess. I guess for me, it's just a little weird because if if Coronation Street was a show here and they were doing it here, Alina would be Hispanic or Asian. Yeah. So it's just. It's a little weird for me watching it. It's. It's just. It's not. It's not a form of human trafficking. That I really have an awareness of. Oh, it absolutely exists. Well, yeah, I know, but it's just—I don't know. It's just—it's just weird for me to get into it because in this country, the human trafficking of white women tends to be a lot more icky than nail salons. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Maybe it is yeah. more icky. We just don't know about it. Maybe because of the whole she doesn't like us to have boyfriends thing, but. I don't know, the whole thing just seems really kind of... It seems an extraordinary length to go to just to get somebody to be a nail technician. There has to be something more to it. It can't just be about, I have this kind of sweatshop thing of nail technicians in Weatherfield. That seems a bit... Right, but she can she can charge less and undercut the competition. Remember, she did say to Nick yeah. that she can do this, that she she will undercut him, and it doesn't matter. But then and that's a, how she does it. But then there's an overhead attached to that of having to buy somebody. I don't know, it just doesn't seem... I don't know, I guess I guess we're just not in the right... Because we're not human traffickers, we have no idea how it works. So. Yeah. My, my... That's not even my knowledge, because it's not knowledge, but my assumption of human trafficking was more based around the sex trade. Mm. Not... I think this is more like kind of like inventor indentured servitude sort of thing right like they're not getting paid at all they're paying off their um their travel to the uk and all the paperwork and stuff like that right illegally well maybe it's just all about nails then yeah because that's definitely how how it works here i mean there are people working in nail salons here in this country that were shipped in illegally in like those crates that they ship yeah, containers here yeah. yeah so Ugh. the, stuff the world is on, horrible seriously i don't know why we complain about a soap opera when the world is so horrible yes. i quite like seb and alina together they're quite a cute couple they're cute and at least he's not moody anymore yeah and he's been a little creepy though yeah, a little creepy. Oh well, no doubt we'll see for this one is going, but this they, again they seem to be dragging it out a little bit. Our <laughs> penultimate storyline of the evening is round about Natalie, David, and Nick on Wednesday. Natalie is reading the paper at the barbers. She's still doing menial work, and she asks for his star sign, and she pretends to read his horoscope, where he gives her something more interesting to do. Do me, she says. And we find out that today is her birthday. But David doesn't care, but Natalie seems quite pleased with herself. 
It's her birthday and Natalie is coked out of her tits again and is singing happy birthday to herself. She'll stop banging on about her birthday if she can cut someone's hair. She starts singing again so he gives her an early mark for lunch which she claims is what she was fishing for all along. So she's off to the pub and wants a pint out of him later. She she obviously doesn't seem to understand how, you know, how training for a trade, for a craft like this works. Because just like with um, with chefs, you know, starting as a dishwasher and working their way up to prep and everything else when they first start out, this is this is what she's supposed to be doing is cleaning the... Yeah, but she has information that can put the pair of them behind bars, so right. maybe they should be keeping her a bit more sweet. Right, yeah, but there are also legalities here that... David needs to be careful of because if he just lets her go to town and messes somebody up and the person complains to the authorities that this licensed person to the authorities? this licensed person is letting you know just anybody go in and cut hair that's why you get models get a model let her go to town it's cutting men's hair how difficult could it be <laughs> not everybody you tread carefully here not everybody's hair is as easy to cut as yours. Okay. So David catches up with Natalie in the rovers. He wants her back at work. In comes Nick wondering why the barbers are shut and the pair of them are in here getting pished. Which is unfair because David was in there getting her out. Like for five seconds. Natalie tells him to wind his neck in. It's not like she's committed a crime. And then she waggles her eyebrows. Yep. Brian is in the barber getting his hair cut and Natalie's whittering on about her past life as a petty criminal. Natalie wonders if there's anything else Nick would prefer her to go on about because Nick objects to the line of conversation. David sends her through the back and Nick isn't impressed that a few drinks loosens up her lips and tells David to sort it out. Keep her happy. So on Friday, Natalie's come down from her coke high and she doesn't remember what she said yesterday and blames David for letting her get drunk. Oh, she was drunk? I can't say that. Well, she was drunk in the Rovers. Was she? Yeah. She'd rather be cutting hair. David doesn't think she's ready. Nick thinks David should give her a chance and David reluctantly agrees to let her loose on the right client just as Kirk comes in looking for something edgy. There you go. David says Natalie is the queen of edge and Kirk is well up for it. Then Adam's home. Yay! With very different hair than what he left with. It's quite slicked back, isn't it? It's very slicked back. A little oily. Oh, I think he suited it. You did? Mm-hmm. I thought it was cutting a fine dash. Sure. <laughs> he calls in at Rana's, and Toya gives him a hard time saying that uh, he was needed here, and poor Imran has been running around like a blue-arsed fly. Adam apologises to Imran for what happened. Then Shona comes into the barbers and seems to be put out when she sees David and Natalie working closely together. Kirk is chuffed as fuck about his new haircut that looks exactly the same as the old one. Yeah, we can't see what's on the back, though. That's the thing. Oh, was it? Yeah. What on earth could be in the back of his head? I don't know. Like she was putting it in some like the lost treasure of Sierra Madre. Oh, maybe it was Voldemort. <laughs> don't make me laugh; it hurts. At Roy's rolls, DS Beckett has turned up looking for a word with Nick. Nick says that he's told him everything he knows, and the police say this won't take long. So Nick asks Leanne to get in touch with Paula. Shona immediately phones David, but David isn't answering because Coronation Street. Yeah, that's right. Sarah meets up with Adam at Roy's Rolls and she asks if he's hanging around this time. For now, he says, he's still not found what he was looking for. 
And he still <laughs> hasn't found what he's looking for. Which is his hole. Liana's keen to know what was going on. I think that was true in Barrow's case as well. <laughs> and we never know what uh, what was going on. Leanne never finds out. Now Natalie's doing Craig's hair. He doesn't want anything too radical. Because he's a policeman. Yes, he's very quick to point out, isn't he? Yes. yes. Aren't you impressed, Natalie? I'm a policeman. And she feigns impression. Yes. Shona bursts in, why isn't David answering his phone? And David says that he left it at home because people leave their phones at home all the time, I guess. Shona tells him about Nick and they can't close up and David won't let Natalie loose on her own. A suspicious Shona leaves. Then Natalie suggests that she start Craig off and David finish him off. <clears throat> don't, don't even think about it. That sounds fine, says Craig. And then in comes a member of ZZ Top looking for a quick beer trim. In the police station, Paula tells Nick that the police are keen to see the accounts for him and for the barbers. The police say that Elsa denies giving them any money. Nick says that she's lying and this sounds like a fishing trip. Beckett is furious. This is a criminal <laughs> This is a criminal investigation and a woman died, damn it. Nick doesn't think any account's going to prove that he had a motive and he tells him to get a warrant, which seems to surprise Paula. Now the divorce. The paper you know, the agreement and everything. That should be something that the police can access, correct? It's public record. Yeah, it's public record. Yeah. Which would show that Elsa is telling the truth. That she was not ordered to pay Nick any money. I don't know. It depends on the terms. It depends if it was a formal agreement or not, I guess. Cause he, he if it seemed, was part of the divorce... He seemed to suggest that he was doing it with the goodness of his heart. He accepted money from Elsa out of the goodness of his heart? No, he returned the money out of the goodness of his right, heart. Right, but then he said that Elsa had to pay him off anyway in the divorce. So he got it back. Because then they're like, well, you said... That this money, that you paid that money back. So why do you have this money? Remember? And they said it can't be both. Remember? I remember that, but yeah. 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 So if they're, if they're saying, it, if Elsa is saying that Nick is lying, that she never gave him any money, it should be easy to prove that Elsa is telling the truth and Nick is lying. Maybe she's already done that. Well, if she's, if she done that because the police just want to see how Nick reacts to this because the police want to know the police don't want Nick to know what they know yeah I suppose but like the way that they seem really frustrated that he's not handing over that information I invite you to think of the theme tune to Laurel and Hardy there's a theme tune to Laurel and Hardy that seems to be what Weatherfield police have in their minds at all times are you saying that they're Keystone Cops? No, I'm saying that they're idiots. On the way out of the police station, Nick wants Paula to stall on their accounts. So they're absolutely Keystone Cops. That, no. No, it's Laurel and Hardy. Keystone Cops didn't have a theme tune, did they? No, but they were idiots. Yeah, so were Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, but they weren't cops. No, but they had a theme tune, though. <laughs> this has nothing Fine. to do with his accounts. Paula None of them were Buster Keaton. Paula is suspicious, but Nick insists that they're just trying to pin it on him and doesn't want to give them anything that uh, could be used against him. Which doesn't make any sense. No. Back at the barbers, David is worried about Nick and leaves Natalie to trim ZZ Top's beard. 
And it turns out that ZZ Top isn't too happy with the service that he's been getting and he storms out. Which is weird because it doesn't look like anything's been done. Like no. she does one little snip and he freaks out and runs away. So yep. maybe he didn't want his beard trimmed. Maybe he wanted the back of his head trimmed. But wouldn't he have said that? You'd have thought so. Oh. And comes Shona wondering where David's got to. Natalie tells Shona way too much, saying that David is worried that Nick is going to drop him in it. Drop him in what, says Shona. And Natalie is quick to backtrack, saying about the factory roof on account of them being so close with each other. They're not that close, says Shona. Oh, do you bloody think so, says Natalie. Natalie is quite rude to Shona. Yeah. Natalie wants to get in David's pants. Clearly, yes. <clears throat> Natalie can GTF. Um. I... I'm saying that Natalie can GTF, okay? Yeah. Back off of Shona's man. I am Team Shona. They have been through so much together. They are finally engaged. They're one of the most put-together couples on the show. <laughs> yes, because they went through all of that stuff, and he forgave her, and she forgave him, and everything worked out, and David became a better man, remember? Do you remember? This only happened like a month or two ago. I remember Clayton running through a graveyard. I remember that. <laughs> Leanne and Toya are meeting in the rovers, and Toya apologises for being insensitive, but she doesn't think that Leanne can be happy with Nick. She doesn't have to stand by him, and Leanne insists that she'd leave if she thought Nick was involved with the factory roof, and Toya thinks that she knows that he did this, and it must be tearing up. Oh, well, you can put the psychology books up your arse, says Leanne. Right. Up your your arse. And she says that uh, Toya's only saying this uh, so that she can stay with Imran. Why don't you take a look in the mirror, she says. She's quite rude, too, saying that Toya is punching above her weight with Imran. Imran is a hunk. He's not... He's not... (laughs) Charlie... Okay, we love Charlie. Charlie is adorable. His puppies are adorable. He's got the (laughs) cutest puppies I've ever seen on Twitter. His, his his golden retriever had puppies and oh, they're so God. cute. <laughs> what did you think I was talking about? Oh, skating on. Ah. And the barber, Bola sees and overhears, I think, Nick and David whispering about Elsa and how he told the police that she was lying. I'm surprised Paula hasn't quit yet. Paula thinks that they can probably stall with the wallet, with the warrant, but it probably won't work and she leaves them to it. David thinks the police are going to want to know where the cash came from, and Nick says that you'll think of something. And Nick is starting to look like a man who's becoming crushed under the weight of his own lies. Yeah, he's he's getting a little bit more desperate here. Do mm. we do we think he's a culprit? You had quite an interesting theory on this this week. Yeah, I don't really want to talk about it though. Oh no. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh well, fuck you then. Fuck you. <laughs> Anything else to say about this storyline? <laughs> you, you are in a bit of pain here, so let's let's get through it, shall we? Thank you. My toe, though. Our final you know sto- what my ovaries can say to your toe? Oh, poor wee toe. It's my big toe. Our last storyline for tonight is skint cabs. A Roy's roll, Steve is eating an egg white and spinach omelette. He's continuing to look after himself following that healthy heart challenge thing. Never mind that, says Tracy. I walked in Liz in the shower this morning and she keeps moving uh, Tracy's shit about the place. 
They need to get a wriggle on and move house, and she goes off to look for properties before she strangles Liz with her leopard print thong. I presume Lizzie's leopard print thong. Then Brenda phones in to quit her job. She's jumping ship to go lucky. Tim hopes that she hates it. Then in comes Yasmin wondering where Tim's dad has got to. And Tim's dad explains about that Emma thing from earlier. And Yasmin looks a bit put out. Meanwhile, someone has ordered a cab to Bolton, so Steve rushes off to do that. Steve. Oh, look at those lovely puppies. Oh, they're cute. Isn't that the cutest thing you've ever seen? It is. It's beautiful. Sorry. Okay. Continue. Steve is dropping off his fare, an elderly woman, in a really dodgy looking bit of town. This isn't the right place at all. Her house isn't boarded up and it has a green door. Steve asks who she lives with here and she says her mummy and daddy. Oh, pig's tits, says Steve. Yeah. And I'd like one elderly woman not to be suffering from dementia, please. Just... Steve. I... And I... Wouldn't she have said something before now that would have given him insight that maybe not everything as is as it seems at this point and who is looking after this woman a daughter not very well (laughs) steve is trying to get information from the woman but she's clearly confused tim gets him on the radio about another job but steve dings it he can't leave the old dear here that was nice of him so steve's at the police with the old lady she's called celia apparently her daughter has been in touch worried sick and steve promises to stay until they're reunited Meanwhile, Abby asks Tim if she can leave early. She has a dental appointment and will make up the time. Off you go then. Then Steve comes back and he explains his day to Tim. Steve's worried about the financial situation of the cab office, but Tim is confident, for no good reason, that everything will pick up soon. Then in the rovers, Tracy has found a great house with a jacuzzi and an American fridge. Steve doesn't Ooh, want... Ooh! <laughs> yes. We have an American fridge too. Yeah, it's not that impressive. And an American dishwasher. And Steve doesn't want to move anymore. They're skint. They can't compete with Go Lucky. And Tracy tells him to go make some cuts uh, and then they leave the pub. So taking this to heart, Steve goes back to work. Business is dead. And Abby comes back late and apologises. Because she was at the dentist again. Steve pretends to be outraged and fires her on the spot. He needs reliable staff. She throws cleaning products at him and storms out. Because this is going to solve Steve's money worries. Yeah. Abby's wage. Yeah. Well, also, uh, Brenda's leaving, yes? Yeah. Yeah. We never get to see. No, she's like uh, Norm's wife. Or Raj's mom. Or not Raj's mom. Um, Howard's mom. Howard's mom. Or Meris. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Howard's mom. On Wednesday, Roy's rolls. Abby's blanking Tim, then explains why she got fired. Tim says he'll go have a word with Steve. So at the cab office, Steve admits that the firm is really struggling. Go lucky are nicking their customers and staff. And it's Brenda's last day, and Steve has put up a banner. Apparently Brenda and Omar, one of the drivers, have been banging each other. Steve blames the app, not for Brenda and Omar banging each other. They need to get an app of their own. So in the rover, Steve eventually gives Abby her job back. They need someone on the switch now that Brenda's gone. Abby was a nightmare on that switch. And we're introduced to Jay, who reckons that he can design a website that'll kill the competition. And he also says a lot of really annoying catchphrases that supposedly millennials say all the time. Sup, says Jay. Well, this is not just that. It was that. It was. He said something was fire. Mm-hmm. He said something was. He thinks he can make a pretty wavy app that will be dank. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Steve and Tim haven't a fucking clue what he's going on about. This show is not written by millennials. <laughs> this show has never seen a millennial. <laughs> Jay wants 20 grand to make the app for half the features and a two grand monthly upkeep. Funnily, that's how much Steve has for the deposit. Back at the flat, Tracy can't find the coffee and biscuits and Liz was having a tidy up and has moved them closer to the kettle. She thinks it's more efficient. Tracy, She's not wrong. Tracy isn't impressed and this obsession with tidying has got to stop. They have an amusing exchange about how easily Tracy loses knickers and how knickers have only ever kept Lizzie's ankles warm. And Tracy's one to talk. <laughs> yes. So Tracy barges into the streetcar. She's furious with Liz and wonders if Steve's got a pair. <laughs> she wonders if Steve's got a pair and if so, how he's managed to knock up half the street. That was just classic. That, that was, was very funny. Yep. Steve introduces Jay to Tracy, who quickly leaves. And she wants to know what's going on. Steve- it was funny. It was funny because before she shows up, they they talk about how um, Steve is worried about Tracy. And Jay starts to give her a, him a hard time about her. And then as soon as she comes in, he's like, take it all back. Yep. Holy shit. Yep. Steve explains to Tracy about the app and the cost. And Tracy tells him to kiss the rap goodbye and storms out. Later in the rovers, Tracy thinks that they could make more money if they did street pickups. Steve seems to think that they could get in trouble for that. Apparently it's illegal. Only if you get caught, says Tracy. I didn't realise it was illegal to pick up on the street. You could do it in Scotland, I'm sure. I think I think it depends upon... Oh, the local authority, maybe. Right, and your licence. Yeah, maybe. On Friday, Steve is taking an age to do his morning shit while Amy wants to get her teeth brushed. Oh, imagine going to brush your teeth after Steve's just done a shit. Ugh. He comes out claiming to be the face of streetcars. He needs to be looking his smartest. And Tracy reminds him that they need a new house, as does Amy when she comes out. Tracy insists. Adam gets out of a go-lucky cab, much to the chagrin of Tracy and Steve. Adam wonders what app streetcars has. Tracy frisks Adam down for his wallet, reckoning that he owes Steve 20 quid. Steve passes on his business card to Adam. Then Steve has a client on the side of the road. He needs to get to the hospital to visit his sick mum. Steve insists that this is illegal, but then lets him in when the punter offers him over the odds for his way, for his fare. The guy's got Steve to pull into a dodgy petrol station. The punter wants to get flowers for his mum, but what he's really doing is putting a balaclava over his head and is robbing the place. Steve, sitting in the car, facing another direction, is oblivious. Completely oblivious, even though he's got a rearview mirror yep. right there. He's chatting to Tim on the radio about what they're having for their lunch. The robber rushes out and back into the taxi and he discards the balaclava while the petrol station attendant takes a photo of Steve's cab. Hasn't that been done in a movie before? Like somebody oblivious gives somebody a ride to a store and is like talking on the phone or something or singing along to the radio while behind you can see the person that they've given a ride to. Yeah, I'm almost certain this is not... This is not... Entirely original, original, no. No. And we've still got to get to the Tarantino thing. Steve is chatting with the dodgiest looking punter uh, and sees that he has a wad of cash in that plastic bag. The punter tells Steve to take a left, which is going off course, and he doesn't want any more chat. And then through the rearview mirror, Steve now sees that the guy has a knife. He wonders where they're going, and the robber says that he doesn't know yet. Is it a knife or a cake server? (laughs) <laughs> yes. He has a very large cake server. It doesn't look. <laughs> it looks like a cake server. 
Steve doesn't fancy being a getaway driver and offers to take him back to the police. Hand yourself in and explain that Steve had nothing to do with it, please. The robber, understandably perhaps, isn't too keen on this idea and orders Steve to take a turn down by the canal and into an underpass. Meanwhile, Liz and Tracy are chatting and it's seemingly friendly at first until Liz says that she's looking forward to having the place to herself once Tracy and Steve and Amy have moved out. Then Tracy drops the bombshell that when they move out, they'll be selling the flat. Well, fuck that for a game of soldiers, says Liz, and she's immediately on the phone to Steve. And I'm confused. I thought this was Liz's flat. I thought so too. Yeah, because they've had arguments where Liz is like, when they first moved back in, Liz is like, this is my house. And before, when they were all living with Ken and Liz was living in this flat... And Liz has obviously been the one to decorate this flat. It has her I mean, mark on it, you, yes. Have you seen that heart-shaped um, knife holder in the background? I mean, come on. That just, ain't no Tracy. Just a wallpaper, I think, is enough to point <laughs> us in the right direction. It looks like a bordello, is what we're trying to say. <laughs> in an underpass, Steve tells the robber to take the car and offers him the keys. But the robber can't drive. That's why he needed a taxi to rob a gas station. This is the bit that reminded me of... Uh, the, I don't think it happened in Reservoir Dogs, but I think it was planned to happen in Reservoir Dogs that the guy, Steve Buscemi, would be running down the street, running, 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 running down the street, looking for a car, stops somebody, opens the door, pulls him out, he jumps in the car, slams the door, goes to drive off, looks down and sees it's a stick. Mm-hmm. And he can't drive a stick. Yeah. That would have been quite funny. <laughs> so that was a Tarantino thing. Okay. See, this this whole scene reminds me more of uh, a Coen Brothers film than Tarantino. It reminds me a little bit of Miller's Crossing when uh, um, Steve is on the ground begging for his life and showing pictures of the kids and stuff. Tim is doing yoga at the cab office while Liz walks in wondering what he's doing. Then she announces that she's going to kill Steve for throwing her out on the street. Tim th- thinks that's unlikely. Liz says that Tracy put him up to it. Tim says, yeah, that's probably likely. Liz wants a word. Now. Did you say anything about the yoga? I didn't. I mentioned yoga, yeah. That Tim was doing yoga? Yeah. I mentioned that, yeah. Okay. That was funny. He seemed to be well in the zone because when Liz came in and interrupted him, he genuinely got a fright. And he's funny because, you know, he acts like he doesn't want anybody to know that he's doing this and yet he's doing it in his (laughs) business where just anybody can walk in. In the middle of the working day. Yeah. Right, yeah. He was quite good at it. He's all right. Steve promises to the robber that he's not going to say a word. He's been inside himself. He knows what it's like. And then we hear Tim and Liz yell at Steve through the radio. The robber rips the radio out funny. and tells Steve to get on his knees, which he reluctantly does. And then, he, like you said, he's shown the robber a photo of his kids. Please, I've got kids. Look into your heart. The robber takes his phone and tells Steve to shut his eyes. He's going to serve you a lovely piece of red velvet. Surprise! Happy birthday (laughs) to you. Oh, Natalie turns up and she's (laughs) she's been on the coke again. The beloved marching powder. Then the robber says that he knows people way scarier than himself. And if Steve breathes a word of this, he and his family, he dead. And then he runs off. Do you think he knows anybody scarier than no, Tracy? No, he knows nobody. He'd know somebody that had a car. At streetcars, Tim is worried about Steve. He said he was on his lunch, but that was ages ago, and Tim isn't so sure anymore. But Steve's gone straight home and straight on to the whiskey. 
He reminds Tracy about her idea about picking up random punters. Well, he's just been hijacked by a psychot- by a psychopathic armed robber with a with a knife, all because Tracy thought he should pick up people at the side of the road. You know, pick up better people at the side of the road. Later, in a quieter moment, Steve explains what happened. He thought he was a goner. Tracy asks if he called the police, but he explains about the threat the robber made to him and his family. Tracy is furious that Steve showed him pics of the kids. He's just grateful to be alive. Plus, he can't tell the police because he'd lose his operating licence because he picked somebody up at the side of the street, and she can say cheerio to the house. Tracy agrees to keep their mouth shut. Then Steve doesn't fancy having a conversation with Amy or Liz about his day. He even felt sorry for the shitbag uh, because he thought that he was on the way to look for his mum at the hospital. Yes. And angry he thinks that he should call the police now that he thinks about it. Tracy tries to talk him down, but at the minute, Steve doesn't know if he's more frightened of the police or a psycho with a cake knife. And that <laughs> is how we end this week's episodes. What a strange way to finish the week. Yeah. And what a strange week. It makes it, makes it seem like this is going to... This has legs. This does have legs, yeah. But we know it has legs because that gas station attendant took a picture of the cab. Exactly. So the police are going to come knocking. Yep. And why why this guy didn't, you know, I don't know, take the guy's phone at the gas station or tie him up or something. And why that gas station attendant allowed himself to be robbed at cake server point. <laughs> yes. Uh, this was probably my favourite storyline of the week this week. And and of course, there's like one gas station that doesn't have CCTV. Well, that's why he robbed it. Right, Because he knew yeah. it didn't have CCTV. What gas station doesn't have CCTV? Mm. I mean, even our gas station here has CCTV. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. The dodgiest neighbourhoods are the ones that have the most CCTV. So the whole... Yeah, it was a run-down, crappy, dodgy neighbourhood. Yeah, that's absolutely going to have some cameras on it. That was strange. See, and in this country, it would not only have CCTV, it would have bulletproof glass around the cashier, like a little drawer where you stick your money in. Yeah, I've been to some very, very sketchy gas stations where you think, I kind of wish I hadn't stopped here. But you needed gas. And a pee. Hmm. So, you have to do it. You gotta do it. What you gotta do. So, I think Steve's in, in for some trouble here. And I don't think Tracy's going to get her house. No. Which means that situation where Liz is just going to... Get worse. Get worse Especially worse. now that Liz knows that they were trying to shove her off. Yeah. Although, I don't think Steve knows this yet, does he? Apparently, this is something that Tracy and Steve agreed to, which surprised me because I don't remember this ever coming into I the conversation. Think this is- this is Tracy just and one trying to it. wind, yeah, because she was smirking quite heavily yeah. at Liz's distress at all of this, yeah, like she was just winding her up. I think so. Hmm. So we shall see where that goes, but yeah, I'm quite interested to see what the go lucky thing is all about and how they get out of this, or maybe they just don't. Maybe this is the end of streetcars. Yeah, like I said the other week, it this seems to be a running theme throughout. All of the small businesses on the street that they're getting bought up and run out of business by newer, younger yeah. technology and stuff. So, who knows? Oh, Charlie's Puppies. 
as if they couldn't get any cuter. Uh-huh. They're future seeing eye dogs. Oh. <laughs> Isn't lovely. that adorable? Yeah, it's well done, Charlie. Ah, uh, it's just. That's fantastic. Moment of the week. I really hope you've got a moment of the week because I don't think I can think of one. I'm thinking. Was it in the Carla storyline? I really hated the Carla storyline, yes. if you'll recall. So I'm not going to suggest anything from the Carla storyline. Was story it line. in the Rover's Got Talent storyline? I liked Rover's Got Talent, but I can't think of anything. It was just like, that was just... You know what? You know what my moment of the week was? Kirk and Abby's conversation, which did both of them a world of good. And then Kirk standing up to Beth and saying that he's going to go on this tour and that he likes making people, making people laugh and making people happy. And that's the most important thing. Oh, yeah, because that was Kirk standing up for himself and right. taking charge of his own future. and Right. And he genuinely made Abby feel better about herself as well, which yep. was very sweet, even though... I don't, I don't know why the two of them are sitting at a table together. There's no reason for this to be friends. happening, no. But in the absence of anything better, yeah. although it was nice. That's Back our at Abby. That's our mo- moment of the week. week. Moment of the week. The boring of the moment of the week. Tim's dad gaslighting Yasmin into watching David Copperfield for three hours. I think that's. Uh, I think the result of that is going to be the boring moment of the week. That's why I suggested. Thankfully, it's off camera. Yeah. That'll do. That's our boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. So, it's just tickling 10 o'clock. Do you want to wrap this up? Please. Okay, so if you want to get in touch with us, here is how you can make that happen. On email and on Skype, we are uh, the talk of the street at gmail.com. We are at Cory Podcast on the Twitter and the Facebook. And you can have a read of our blog. It's been updated this week, I promise, on the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. Hopefully, we'll be feeling a little bit more like ourselves next week. And we shall speak to you then. Have a good week. Bye. Bye bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.